Nobody quiz me. I'll fail. Hello, welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we fumble the superpowered felons one issue at a time. My name is Mike Thompson, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, the guardian of the gridiron herself, Jessica Frazier. Huzzah, huzzah, huzzah. As always, <laughs> the purpose of the podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We like to look at the weirdest, the coolest, and the silliest moments of comic books as well as how they are woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. If you're enjoying the show so far and you want to help us grow, it'd be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on platforms like Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, because that really helps us with our discoverability. And just a quick reminder, we are no longer on Spotify, so you'll need to find us elsewhere if you are listening to us on that platform. And likewise, we'd love to have you join our little community on social media. You can find us as Tencent Takes, all one word, on every major platform. And today, we're actually really fortunate. We're joined by Lance Watkins from Comic Book Keepers, who has graciously agreed to come on and hang out with us and shoot the breeze about one of Marvel's most ridiculous characters, NFL Super Pro. Lance, would you mind introducing yourself and telling our listeners about your show? Of course. I'm so excited to be here. This character is ridiculous, and I am ready to have a lot of fun talking about them. So yeah, I'm Lance. I am one of the hosts of Comic Book Keepers. It is a comic book podcast that came to be because of, of course, the pandemic, another one of those pandemic podcasts, and somehow we're still around. Yeah, we don't know anything about that, no. No, Mm -mm. no, no. So our show, I started with a buddy, Chris of mine, and he is currently in and out of episodes because he does a million things, including DMing another podcast called Knights of the Rolled Table, and a really fun show, and he does a million other things, and he has a Patreon for his art, and it's amazing. So he jumps in and out, and otherwise I have my other podcasting friends to come on, and we break down one comic book character, series, or team at a time give history behind the character, how they became to be, the creators, uh, give pull list recommendations, talk about grail finds of comic books that we found along the way in our collecting journeys. And probably my favorite segment we we do is a what if, where we take a concept from that comic or character and kind of flip it on its head and just have fun talking like comic book nerds do. Awesome. So when this episode drops, it's going to be the week after the Super Bowl. We are talking about NFL Super Pro which is this weird artifact of like corporate synergy from the early 90s between Marvel and the NFL. But before we go down that road, let's talk about one cool thing that we have read or watched. So Lance or Jessica, who wants to start it off? I'll let our guests go first. All right. Sure. I have recently been binge reading through Once in Future. Oh, it's it is, so good. Oh my gosh. I am in love with it so much. I, I already had the first six issues, but I knew I wanted the whole series as like a set eventually. And so I waited for them to come out with the deluxe edition of it. And it went on sale recently. And so I snagged that up real quick. It is a phenomenal tale of like Arthurian mythos, but it has a lot of twists and turns to it. It is written by Kieran Gillen, who is one of my favorite comic book writers. He also wrote Die, which is so good. I love it so much. It is a 20-issue series that's finished, and art from that is by Stephanie Hans, and she does beautiful painted artwork. And if you are a fan of tabletop role-playing games or Dungeons & Dragons or just fantasy in general, you should read Die. But I have finally been able to be binge-reading Once in Future, and Again, it, it's written by Kieran Gillen and the artist by Dan Mora, who is honestly like one of my favorite artists of all time. I do not know how that man has not been snapped up by one of the big two. Like his stuff is so good. His early work one day, I guarantee will be worth money because it is beautiful to look at. I am obsessed with his ability to show action and emotion. It's just amazing to witness. And to have a book written and illustrated to this caliber, it is phenomenal. So if you have not read Once in the Future, I strongly suggest it. Yeah, like it's actually on my pull list at Brian's Comics. And I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Die because both Jessica and I on different episodes have talked about how that was the cool thing that we were reading. It's so good. It's so (laughs) so good. 
and it's, gosh. I don't know if the final volume is collected on Hoopla, but I wound up catching up on on the first three volumes through Hoopla. So it's great. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for them to come out with an omnibus for it. I collected the single issues along the way. I'm missing a few of them, but I have become obsessed with collected deluxe edition hardcovers recently. <laughs> so and that's just one I, I need to own. But yeah, it's oh, it's so good. Yeah, 100% agree. Mm-hmm. All right, Jessica, you're up. Well, I have been catching up on Hawkeye recently because, again, I'm just always going to be a bit behind the times with my media consumption. It's just it's always going to be the way. But it was so much fun. I loved the plot. The action was great. I loved the strong female protagonist vibe. Kate Bishop just gave zero fucks about others' perception (laughs) of what she was like capable of or who she was as a person. And the fact that she works so diligently to get her skill level rather than just being bestowed some super ability made it feel more genuine and made it feel more like she had achieved something when she actually got to the point where he was relying on her and and she was stepping up and really doing things for herself. So I it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And it's really inspired me to check out more Kate Bishop comics <laughs> since I now know about her. I really liked West Coast Avengers. That one was a lot of fun. Yeah. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. The run that the Hawkeye show is based off of. Read that because, oh, my gosh, yeah. it is amazing. Well, and also Florence Pugh just elevated Crushed like it. everything as Yelena. Like Sarah and I were watching that. We were just like, fuck, we just want to watch a show of her and Kate Bishop together. Because like their chemistry was so good and they were so funny together. It was it was immediate. I you're right. I immediately wanted another season of it and I wanted it to be just about them because mm-hmm. like they play off of each other unbelievably so well. well. I'm pretty sure that Florence Pugh could play off of a tree stump and it would still be amazing. Yes. But oh my gosh, both of them together is just stunning to witness and the mcu is so bright when it comes to female protagonists oh my god and i yeah. shipped them so hard it like it took <laughs> a long time to get to that point where i'm like we have really good female characters now and and good lord yeah like the whole thing where she goes from being really funny in kate bishop's apartment to all of a sudden being dead serious and being like oh yeah i would have killed you no question and sarah and i were just floored by how seamlessly she switched between those two modes and it was so good yeah if you can go from a movie like midsommar to a hawkeye series right yeah talk Hmm. about range it is yes which also chef's kiss on that movie Mm -hmm. that movie is a trip Mm-hmm. Was it was that by the same director who did uh, The Witch? I'm trying to remember. Same director that did Hereditary. Hereditary, yes. that's what it was. I knew it was one of those like really scary movies. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, like on that vein, I'm actually going to talk about a horror comic. So Brian's Comics in Petaluma has been singing the praises for a comic called uh, The Silver Coin, which is Chip Zdarsky. He's part of this all-star lineup of folks working on the series with artist Michael Walsh. Zadarsky wrote the first issue of the series, and then other issues are written by Kelly Thompson, Ed Brisson, and Jeff Lemire, and it's published by Image Comics. It's an anthology series telling a different horror story each issue, and each story is connected by a silver coin with these supernatural abilities. It always starts off coming into someone's possession and kind of delivering them a boon of some kind, like some extra power or enhancing their abilities the first issue focuses on a rock band that all of a sudden gets the coin in their possession and the music they're making is incredible. And then by the end of the issue, that gift is warped into a really terrifying kind of thing. So something I really like is that because these stories take place across a ton of different eras, we're getting a bunch of different genres. So there's like a cyberpunk adventure a couple issues in. There's like a historical horror set in like puritanical times. But there's also this meta story that starts to play out over the first few issues, and it's really fascinating. And the first volume's out on Hoopla, and I read it, and I just immediately emailed Brian and was saying, you know, you need to put this on my list. Highly recommended if you're looking for something spooky. I wound up reading it once and then immediately starting over and reading it again and just looking for all the little details. It was great. Nice. I am always on the hunt for more horror comics, so I have already looked it up and screenshot it because I actually hadn't heard of that one, which surprises I, me a lot coming from Chip Zdarsky. 
Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where Brian had been posting about it for a while. I was like, oh, yeah, that's on my list of stuff to check out. And, you know, because I live in the Bay Area and so most of my money goes to just surviving here, I have to be kind of a little more judicious with what I actually spend money on. And I read it and I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm buying that. <laughs> Lance, you did go for your phone very quickly, though. Oh, yeah. As soon as as you said horror comic with Chip Zdarsky, I was like, oh, we're we're screenshotting that right now. We are. Because I'm obsessed with horror comics. Like, Colin Bunn is one of my favorite writers, and he just continuously puts out all of these amazing, like, if it's a one-off or a short series like Bone Parish, which was incredible, or just his, Mm -hmm. his other. The Sixth Gun. Yeah, like six gun. There's so much that he does and such a nice guy, too. So, but yeah, I'm very excited for a new horror series. I will be reading that very soon. Excellent. I'm glad that I can put that in front of you. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, I, I, I guess we can't avoid it anymore. Do you guys want to talk about football? And <laughs> <laughs> Want to yeah, or need to uh... at this point? I mean, yes. I don't feel like you're, we're really going to have a, a choice here. This is going to be a really short episode, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> Just our recommendations for comics, and then cut to the outro. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm curious, what is each of your history with the NFL? Like, were Sunday football games a part of your childhood? Are they a part of your lives now? I'll go I'm getting first, a lot of head already, shaking right now. I'm already making faces, <laughs> so I might as well go first. This is an audio medium. I have to continue to remind myself. Well, growing up, my dad streamed most 49ers games as well as other teams games that he deemed like his teams he wanted to root for that second, which, I, you know, whatever. And Super Bowl games, of course, which honestly did not interest me, but... I was a child easily transfixed by the television. So I did absorb some knowledge, not really knowledge, but just like I absorbed some of it, you know, just from the sidelines. And you know what? My problem is, here we go. My problem is they (laughs) dick around between plays too much. And they're always so damn dramatic about (laughs) yard lines and exact distances. And it's a total snooze fest, if you ask me. The game itself, really interesting. I like the strategy of the plays. I like how the different positions function in their own ways. The gameplay itself, super fun. However, the games, televised games, take way too long because there's a hissy fit thrown for every yard that's run. (laughs) But I do love watching live football games, like high school games, college games. But I just, just because they move along, it feels like a little bit quicker. There's not some, it just, it just, I can't, I can't. With the televised well, yeah. games. Like a couple of years ago, there was a rugby player, I think, who came to the Niners. And then one of the rugby fans was live tweeting throughout the entire thing. And he was like, oh, so there's like an, a total of like 15 minutes of gameplay across two hours. And he was like, yeah. you guys are real slow to like actually get anything done around here. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, it can be slower paced. That's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, my experience with the NFL, it was always on. On Sunday, it was on on Monday nights. It was on Thursday nights. Like it, w- it was always going on in my house. Growing up in San Diego, my family were huge Charger fans. To the sadness of us and that entire franchise. Yep, it's rough, rough I mean, times. But at least our uniforms. I mean, the Chargers made it to the Super Bowl a couple of times. Yeah, and and then lost in spectacular fashion. But I, I live vicariously through. Drew Brees having gone to the Saints along with Darren Sproles and they won a Super Bowl together. So I'm happy about that. But yeah, so it's always been a part of my life. Our family aren't the biggest talkers. And so watching sports was always a big thing, whether it was football, baseball, basketball, never soccer. But yeah, and if I wasn't like watching football or playing another sport, I was playing football with friends. Every Thanksgiving, we would do a turkey bowl. We just get a whole bunch mm-hmm. of people together and play before eating that afternoon. So football has been a part of my life for my entire life. So it's good times and it's hard to see what it's been devolved into with NFL Super Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of uh, split in the middle with you guys. So like I grew up and my family was super into watching football. We would go to Niner games when we lived in San Francisco when they were still playing in Candlestick Park. I was always bored out of my skull. I was never a really big sports kid. My dad tried to get me to play football in middle school 
and I got through a season of flag football and then never went back. And like I was on the bench most of the time because I was a fat kid who couldn't run and they didn't have any use for me because I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, like when I did go to games, I usually had a book with me and I would just sit and read. I think I tore through a couple of the Wheel of Time series, actually, <laughs> like, <laughs> like across a month of going to Niners games. So, yeah. And then when I got older, I was an advertising major in college. And so we paid more attention to the Super Bowl because of that. But, you know, for the most part, I never really was that into football as a thing. But I did like the parties with the food. That was fun. So. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't think we really need to go into a detailed history of football as a sport, but I will say, you know, when I was doing the research for this episode, I was surprised to find out that it took a while for the sport to really catch on here in America. Like, even though the sport as we know it really got started in the late 19th century, it didn't become a real professional sport until the 1920s when the American Professional Football Association was formed. And then it became the NFL a couple of years later. But it didn't really become the dominant sport in America until the late 1950s. Basically, it wound up going through a period of sustained growth and popularity after World War II, and then it hit the tipping point with the 1958 championship game that was played between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants. And Wikipedia actually has a really good summary. The game has since become widely known as the greatest game ever played. It was carried live on the NBC television network, and the national exposure it provided the league has been cited as a watershed moment in professional football history, helping propel the NFL to become one of the most popular sports leagues in the United States. Journalist Tex Mall said of the contest, This, for the first time, was a truly epic game, which inflamed the imagination of a national audience. Yeah, and from there the sport started to really become the juggernaut of American culture that it is today. Like, the Super Bowl came about as a result of the 1966 merger between the NFL and the AFL. So the first actual game that was played was in 1967, and it was a ratings hit from day one. The first game was broadcast on both NBC and CBS simultaneously, and Sports Media Watch estimates that approximately 25 million people watched the game on each network. And then from there, the ratings kept on going up. The highest rated game, according to Nielsen, was Super Bowl 16 in 1982 which was watched in 49.1% of households, 73 shares, or 40,020,000 households at that time. Ratings for that game, a San Francisco victory over Cincinnati, may have been aided by a large blizzard that had affected much of the northeastern United States on game day, leaving residents to stay at home more than usual. Super Bowl 16 still ranks fourth on Nielsen's list of top-rated programs of all time, and three other Super Bowls, 12, 17, and 20 made the top 10. Yeah. And I mean, it's also kind of interesting because remember how in the Saturday morning cartoons episode, we were talking about how in the early 1950s, you know, only 9% of households had televisions, but by the end of the 50s, 90% did. So it makes sense that when 90% of the households have televisions and there's only like three channels at the time, you know, you're going to have a much more captive audience. Yes, you're funneled for sure. Yeah, at that point, you're just actively choosing not to watch football. (laughs) Right. You know, well, (laughs) yeah. So by by 1990, TV viewership was averaging around 80 million viewers, and 30 seconds of airtime during the game cost $800,000. So it makes sense that the NFL and Marvel would team up to produce a licensed product. But before we really go down that rabbit hole, I do want to note This wasn't the first time that Marvel tried to turn football players into superheroes. The first time was in 1986, and it was for a comic called Kickers, Inc., and that was part of Marvel's infamous New Universe imprint, and it focused on a group of former players for a fictional team, the New York Smashers, and the characters gain super strength between exposure to radiation and the, quote, white event, which signaled the emergence of super beings on that Earth. I have a couple of the comics, and they're really bad. Like they're legit boring. Like they talk about how they can write off their parties and cars as business expenses because they're now superheroes for hire. And even Jim Shooter. Oh, it's bad. Jim Shooter has actually talked about it since then. In a 2016 interview with Vulture, he literally referred to that comic as a train wreck. And (laughs) I'm honestly surprised that the series lasted 12 issues. But with that footnote out of the way, we can now talk about NFL Super Pro. 
So the character debuted in the NFL Super Pro Super Bowl special, which was published in January of 1991 to coincide with Super Bowl that year. And the comic was written by Fabian Nassiza and penciled by Jose Delbo. Nassiza was a pretty big name for Marvel at this point. Aside from a run on The New Warriors, he was also in the middle of his tenure on the X-Men family of books. And in fact, he had co-created Deadpool and that character's first appearance had hit shelves a month earlier. And Delbo, in turn, was really a reliable artist who'd been working in the industry since the 1960s, and he'd gotten known for his work on Wonder Woman and had previously worked on Thundercats and Transformers for Marvel. Nasiza gave an interview at Vice a couple of years ago where he touched on how the comic came to be. The editor responsible for the project, Bob Budiansky, came to me and asked for some help. Nasiza recalled in an email conversation last month, they were having a hard time developing the super pro character to the satisfaction of the NFL and wanted a more acclaimed writer on the project. Nasiza, who today is known for his work on X-Men, Deadpool, and Thunderbolts, was skeptical about being able to contribute much to a licensed character, but he was a company man, and when the company asked him to step up, he did. He had also grown up a New York Jets fan after his family moved to New York from Argentina when he was four. Joe Namath was his favorite player. And so, with the fortitude in the face of a crappy situation that any Jets fan would recognize, Nasiza took the notes the NFL had sent and committed to writing the first four issues of the Super Pro series. Can I just say, like, what was the comic like before the NFL notes? That they I really want to know. Right? They weren't satisfied. Where they sent it over, and then they received this comic <laughs> book, and they said, "Yes, this is what we wanted." <laughs> That was exactly oh. what I was thinking. <laughs> like, who decided this one was okay? We need <laughs> the script notes. The original <laughs> version of Super Pro. It can't be any worse. You know, it's really funny because Nasiza, I met him about a year later. He came to a local shop in San Francisco and he signed my copy of X-Force number one. And he was like the nicest human being and spent a while talking to like, this shitty little 11 year old that had a bunch of his comics that he had just bought at the store that day. I'm sure if we bug him enough on Twitter, he would probably be willing to talk to one of us about it. Yeah. He's super nice. Like every <laughs> person that I've ever talked to that has interacted with him has had nothing but nice things to say. Yeah. You know, I feel like you can tell a lot about people with how they actually act with kids. And he was just so nice. Like he was way nicer than he had any reason to be. That's super cool. Yeah, and Nasiza notes later in that interview, though, that writing the book came with a couple of other perks. He got, according to him, a pretty nice royalty check and then some NFL tickets. And meanwhile, Marvel executives managed to wrangle a free trip to the 1994 Super Bowl. So, you know, <laughs> must have been nice. That's solid. Wow, the NFL was really happy with the work on that book. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Oh, we're going to get into why. We're going to get into why. I would love to see the sales figures. I should have looked up the sales figures to see if I could figure it out. But, oh, man. The, <laughs> I mean, it sold well enough that not only did they have that Super Bowl edition, but then they reprinted it as the NFL Super Pro Special Edition. And then they gave it a 12-issue series. So, like, clearly it didn't do that badly. <laughs> just, just proving in the 90s people were buying everything they could get their hands on everything yeah we were talking about deathmate with comic book couples counseling and the most disappointing sales issue was the rob liefeld deathmate red and it sold less than two hundred thousand copies but like that's still so many issues compared to like how books sell today yep mm -hmm. it's ridiculous <laughs> in the 90s books were just printed in the millions yeah liam sharp was talking on twitter a while ago with me about how death's head 2 i think they actually printed a million copies of the first issue of the ongoing series. I can't tell you how many like issues of Two Rock I've come across when I've like, oh, yeah. bought collections. I'm just like, why did this person have an entire long box of Two Rock? <laughs> I mean, I have the gold edition of Two Rock. Mm -hmm. That's the one I keep running into. <laughs> keep buying yeah, collections, it's... a stack of them over and over. Oh, man, I I don't know why, but I like my new thing is I'm actively looking for all like the gold and, you know, special variant covers from the 90s of Valiant and Image Comics. It's so dumb and I love it so much. Hey, when you find the thing in your collection that makes you happy, you go for it. 
I have so many books in my collection that are worth pennies, but they mean way more to me than some of the books I have that have significant monetary value. Yeah, 100%. So the NFL Super Pro Super Bowl special came out, and that was the world's first introduction to the titular character. Lance, would you give us a quick summary of his origin story? I would be happy to give you a recap of this character's amazing origin story. You have been waiting for this all night. Oh, yes. Phil Grayson was a football player who had a lot of things going for him. He, there was a lot of speculation about how great he was going to be in the NFL, but he injured his leg, and then he came back and was doing great, and then he injured his leg again, and then he came back again, and then while saving a child falling out of the stands, he broke his leg once again, leading to a career-ending injury. And I'll just say, after someone's broken their leg multiple times they are no longer a big prospect in the nfl no they're like well their career's done it's like not that adrian peterson like getting surgery on his knees recovering from acl surgeries and then coming back and running two thousand yards the next season he was a freak of nature after an injury like that it's pretty much career over but not yeah for phil grayfield he came back strong until the third time uh, <laughs> after the third break, it, it was like, well, I can't do this anymore because I'm super injury prone and no one will hire me. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Tim Tebow, honestly, where it was just like, he's such a shitty player, but teams keep on giving him, you know, third, fourth, fifth chances, however many that he got. Yeah, it, it just kept going. And, and so once he finally decided to hang up the cleats, he ended up becoming a sports reporter. And then was invited to go to this eccentric superfans facility. And not only was he a superfan of the NFL, he was also a chemist and had developed these interesting chemicals. Didn't he refer to himself as like, oh, I'm an inventor, but that's just a hobby. I made my millions in this other stuff. I'm like, all right. It's like we're just all over the place. I'm I'm pretty sure these were the notes the NFL gave to the comic book company for them to fix this. I'm sure. Like so so he should be a superman, but also a chemist, but also an inventor, but he should have made his money completely something else. Like, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. That's that narratively makes sense. So what five-year-old hopped up on Pixie Sticks came up with this plot. That's what I want to know. Yeah, it's a it's a little rough. So they're at this facility where Phil Grayfield is interviewing this eccentric superfan, and he shows him this really interestingly designed football uniform, and he says, this would have been the future of the NFL, except the chemicals or the materials needed cost $5 million per suit. It's like, you thought <laughs> that this would have been viable? <laughs> Like, why would you spend five million dollars on this? It's indestructible. But five I give a shit. million dollars <laughs> in nineteen ninety one. So that would have been about mm, ten million dollars adjusting for inflation. Like it has to be something. And, and also it has to be it has to be individually molded to each player, too, if I remember right. Yes, it has to. That's why it costs so much on top of the materials, because each player would have had to have been molded into that suit. Mm-hmm. And the suit also looks like it's just straight up Captain America with shoulder pads. So it would have gotten along with all the women in the 80s. Basically, it looks like the Patriots uniform, right? Like, I'm not wrong. Yes. No, it for sure does. Or a version of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So while they're on this tour, of course, it gets broken into by this band of robbers that are trying to steal <laughs> the chemicals or the suit or something. They're, they're, they're there to steal some memorabilia. So, okay. sure, why not? All right. And then they steal the memorabilia and then light the house on fire because, you know, arson is always good. And while Grayfield is left in the house, this is the part that makes no sense to me. On top of everything else, that makes no sense to me. But <laughs> chemicals that were at the facility fall on him while the place uh-huh. is on fire. And then he grabs the suit, puts it on. And now he has these abilities. Wasn't he also tied up in like old and like reels of old football films too? Yes. Yes, he was. Because I was cackling at that. I was like, (laughs) you tied him up with film? What are you talking about? No, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) 
He was not very strong. Like, he shouldn't have been in the NFL no. if football film could have tied him down. It was a lot of layers, but still, like, I still feel like you yeah. could wiggle out of that. I mean, you can't secure that well. I don't know. Like... Uh, especially when chemicals fell on him, because then it's just wet yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. Person. <laughs> it's like it's like toilet paper at that point. It's like, you just move. Just, like, move at all. <laughs> He's had so many injuries, though. Maybe that was just his kryptonite. It was just the reels of him getting injured. And so he's just like, I can't get away from this. It's horrible. It's the kryptonite chain. Yes. God. Oh, my gosh. So he he then puts on the suit. And so in my brain, I'm like, so is it the chemicals that gave him powers? Is it just the suit that gave him powers? What was the point of the chemicals? I, I don't get it. But that's basically how... NFL Super Pro came to be. He had chemicals fall on him and he put on a suit and then he chased after the criminals and he became a hero. Ish. Ish, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good lord, yep. Oh, oh, and we have to bring up what the suit was made out of because (laughs) I could not for the life of me believe that this was a thing. Let me pull it up real quick because I have to get the exact chemicals right because, oh my gosh, right here. I invented it in the 70s, made out of fiberglass and plastic alloys. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. Fiberglass like, must be indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, cool. So now when he wears it, he gets like sharp pieces stuck into his skin forever and they never come out and it just hurts all the time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or itches, one or the other. Oh. But like... When you think of indestructible materials. Nobody thinks of fiberglass. Nobody. <laughs> and plastic. No. <sighs> but that's what, that's what ended up being NFL Super Pro's <laughs> costume. Well, and we only find this origin out because his cameraman like comes to him and he's like, oh, I ID'd you because you've got the same jawline. And then your pinky finger has like a weird crook. And... <laughs> And so tell me what happened. Is very uh, good at picking out small details to lead him to know exactly who mm-hmm. someone is. Like yes. he did that with his nephew too. He was like, "I know you. You're oh, that. God. You're that jackass who's been robbing people. Don't you fucking do that." <laughs> I, I just love the fact that when he holds up the picture of the finger, and he's like, "Your small finger has the exact same crook." It, like that NFL Super Pro has, <laughs> and it literally is a picture of an index finger. They couldn't it's even get so the bad. they couldn't even get the right finger correct. It's <laughs> it's not as bad as the time that I caught Rob Liefeld drawing two left feet on a character oh, when they were running, but it's up there. Yeah, well, we we don't talk about Rob Liefeld and feet. It's this it's a non-conversation. <laughs> God, Ugh. yeah. okay so we've got the origin out of the way now the super bowl special was as i said it was reprinted in that following june as the nfl super pro special edition and then we got a 12 issue series in the fall jessica this is your turn now i want a summary of the series presented like a commercial that you would have seen on monday night football absolutely i'd be Happy to oblige. This week, doom, 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 doom. It's a showdown between a helmeted superhero and the unsuspecting wrongdoers who cross his path. Doom, 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 doom. NFL Super Pro. Come see him battle his way through evil. Run crooked at a time. It's NFL Super Pro versus the world of petty crookery this Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Amazing. I love the phrase petty crookery. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like to say I coined that. <laughs> Trademark. Immediately made me smile. <laughs> I practiced that for like 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. I can't tell you. That's more time than they took to develop this comic book, so you should be proud. Yeah. 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So... You know, the ensuing series, it's a bunch of one-off stories, and it's starring a sports-themed superhero who mostly fights sports-themed villains. There was, you know, in one instance, it's a football player who's turned into a literal monster. 
due to his use of experimental steroids that a pharmaceutical company made to sell on the black market, which I I can't even begin to talk about how dumb that is because I'm like, why don't they just make a legal steroid and then make billions selling it on the regular market? I don't know. Yeah. But it was not great. Like the fact that he's just going out and like fighting criminals and just like running in the streets in the first issue because of like steroids <laughs> being a thing. It's yeah. like, no, we just have regular, let's, let's just do a, a test. And if they have taken steroids, they can't play. Like we don't, they're banned. We don't yeah. need a yeah. super <laughs> hero for or, this. Or I mean, like, you know, we could also just look at them a lot of the time and realize that, mm, God did not make those muscles. Like no amount of hard work at the gym is going to result in in biceps that big. Yeah. Or tell them some bad news and then if they punch a wall out of nowhere, maybe <laughs> they have a little bit of rage. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Or I don't know, look for, you know, acne, like lots of acne on like the 30-year-old man playing professional sports. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, there was also Quick Kick who was another former football player who'd then become a ninja engaging in corporate espionage. Or there was Instant Replay, who was an assassin who could travel through time and space. And also, his design was clearly a ripoff of Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. Or there was Sanction, who was a crime lord who got a suit of armor from, I think, Obadiah Stane, is what he said. And then he tries to kill Super Pro. And what's basically like this lethal mashup of the old American Gladiators Eliminator event and a football field that apparently Mm -hmm. he just has in his penthouse. Like, okay. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I just I felt my eyes rolling further and further back into my skull with each new villain's sport pun name. And, Mm. you know, they also did like a couple of cameo sort of team ups like the first issue has. It's not even really like a team up with Spider-Man. They're like, oh, look, Spider-Man's in this issue. And Spider-Man kind of shows up to take some pictures and then runs away. Yeah, we also get sort of a team up with Captain America in one issue where Sanction hires the villain Crossbones to assassinate Super Pro. So now I got to ask, like, for both of you, which of these was your favorite villain or which did you just find the most ridiculous or offensive? I don't even like know where to start. (laughs) <laughs> with going through how ridiculous these characters are there, like there's rip saw which literally just has like blades all over himself he has two blades on his hips yeah like that was <laughs> but he wasn't even like a sports theme villain he was then he was like chopped. tied into the yeah he was tied into like the ecological issue because like every comic at this era was doing something about the rainforest getting mowed down yeah super pro just like devolved into crapton planet at one point <laughs> And it was just like, it even had like a moment at the end of the issue. It's like, just remember, kids, you're the only one that can save the environment. It's like, we, yep. we don't need you, NFL Super Pro. We have a <laughs> cool superhero planet saving thing already. We don't need you. Uh, they were okay. touching on all the 90s tropes. They were. I mean, because but... they, they did the anti-drug trope, too. They were like right in that. <laughs> If you haven't read it, there's a couple of issues of Wolverine by D.G. Chichester where he teams up with Terror Incorporated and they fight against like lunatic fringe eco-terrorists, which, if I remember right, the end of one issue involves one of them driving an explosive railroad spike into Wolverine's chest. And it's amazing. Like, just you got to check it out. Yes. I'm in. Sold. <laughs> Probably one of the more offensive ones, I feel like, is from issue six. I don't even understand how to, like, uh-huh. explain what is happening. There's like a it's just like a poorly done version of what would you say? Like, not Native American, like deep in the forest type masks, except it kind of looks like blackface with yellow eyes. And and there mm-hmm. are like feathers in the helmet piece that's probably the most offensive one of the characters on the cover though looks like the head of one of the characters from mystery science theater 3000 mm-hmm. um, you're not wrong you're not wrong uh, i'm gonna go with that as the most offensive yeah <laughs> that was the one i picked too because they and then they were like bringing like the hopi into it and they were like 
I mean, honestly, they, it was huge. It was a big old racist thing, like the whole thing. I mean, it totally negatively portrayed Native Americans as abusive. And it had stereotypes about them, like, only wanting to build gambling venues and being super greedy and just, like, it was just so much. It I, I'm, like, I'm not going to go all the way deep into, like, all the things because I'm already so mad. <laughs> and I will just, I'll, I'll spiral. But let's just say that I found myself going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And, like, increasing the pitch of my oh, no's. Like, my brother stopped outside my door at one point because I could tell he was, like, going to see if I was okay. <laughs> It was distressing. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that in a second. So the thing to remember is that Nasiza actually left the series after issue four, and then the rest of the series was written by kind of a a conglomerate of writers. There was Buzz Dixon and Evan Skolnick and Matthew Mora and Paula Foy. Dixon actually wrote the most of the remaining issues with a total of three books, and he's actually the guy who wrote issue six. And... That issue with the Kachina-themed villains was so offensive that Hopi representatives officially complained to Marvel, and I think the issue was recalled because it's a lot harder to find. And that issue is weird. Like, I don't really understand what the purpose is of it. It's really offensive in a lot of different ways, like you guys mentioned. And there's a whole thing about Hopi rebels and how they've taken over the old kind of like Hopi Pueblo buildings built into the cliffs. And it reminded me a bit of the Native American occupation of Alcatraz from like 69 to 71, that it felt like it was a real uncomfortable parallel to that. I'll tell you what the purpose was. Racism. What? There's no (laughs) racism in the NFL. No. None. As I cackle. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, so... Was the Washington football team still going by its egregiously offensive name back then? I don't yes, know if they absolutely. were a team. Well, of the, course the, it was. The Redskins, of course it was. They didn't change. The Redskins were the name of their team for until like, what, okay. three years ago? I was going to say super recently. It's either two or three yeah. at this point. Yeah. I'm living in pandemic time, so I don't remember the last few years. Time has no meaning. No, like, it's all no. gone. Like, I mean, I cannot believe that that name was still a thing up until as recently as it was. It's just wild to me. Like, I, I remember hearing about that, and I was like, how is that a thing? That can't be... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's rough. It's almost like we're still horrible. Well, yeah, especially the owner of that team. He's a dumpster fire of a human being. Fucking Dan Snyder. Jesus Christ. I'm not a football fan. I'm very disengaged from, from the NFL, and even I can list the litany of sins that man has committed. Well, riddle me this. If you have enough money to own a football team what else could you be doing with said money instead of owning a motherfucking football team come on good fucking god on top of being just a terrible football team owner dan snyder is also one of the driving reasons that six flags wound up going bankrupt like as a brand he was running the company and he was the one who made him declare bankruptcy like, Jeez. it was wild. Can't even have theme parks. So, Jose Delbo penciled most of the series also, but Herb Trimp, who we talked about before in our US One episode, filled in for a couple of issues towards the end. And then, about halfway through the series, we get this huge showdown between Super Pro and Sanction, and then the series just keeps limping along. Like, we get a bunch of one-off stories that really are just kind of whatever, like, and and we don't really get any new villains either until the final issue where the final villain was a guy in power armor named Repulsor, who was a soccer player turned eco-terrorist. And we originally met him earlier in the series. And honestly, I feel like this is one of those situations where with each passing decade, it makes it harder to label Repulsor as the bad guy. Like, I don't know. He was striking back at like corrupt corporate overlords who were deforesting the rainforest and also, I guess, murdered his girlfriend. And then the series has a really tone-deaf 12th issue with an ending where it's literally him striking a pose and basically being like, NFL Super Pro is here to save the day. And then Marvel stopped producing NFL Super Pro, and he hasn't appeared in print ever since. Wikipedia actually claimed that Robert Kirkman wanted to use the character in Marvel Team-Up, but wasn't able to because of copyright issues. And This actually makes sense. I wound up asking the comic book historians community if they knew who owned the character rights, and Joe Field of Flying Colors Comics in Concord brought up that the first issue's fine print 
has a note saying that the NFL owns the character outright. And honestly, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't think to do that, but I want to give Joe credit. So my guess is that the NFL just doesn't want to acknowledge that this happened because (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know what's beyond extremely cringe. Like whatever it is, it's the NFL super pro. It's a category all of its own. It's cringe 2099. Yep. Yes. Perfect. Love it. All right. So one other footnote for this episode is that this actually isn't the last NFL comic. About a decade ago, the organization started working with Action Lab Comics, and they produced a comic tie-in to the animated show NFL Rush Zone. Like You can read those on Comixology Unlimited if you want to, but, but only if you really want to. I didn't bother. I could feel my body trying to shut down to protect itself after I binged the NFL Super Pro <laughs> series. Like I just couldn't deal with it anymore. <laughs> I just love the fact that the last few issues of Super Pro just veered away from football in general. Like there was a baseball issue. There's like a soccer one. <laughs> There's one where like it opens with him dunking at like an all-star NBA yes. game too. Yes. Like, and you're like, why? Why would you have the football guy and cleats dunk? Okay, whatever. It, it's it's like the fact that they couldn't even get 12 issues of just football character playing football. They were like, oh, no, uh, he's basketball now. Well, I mean, you had to know that it was going to go so far downhill when they started kidnapping like players from all these different teams enough to make a whole football team. I was like, wow, this is going really far. Where next? And then they're like, how about soccer? Yeah, you're like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> how about? <laughs> they're like, no one's reading this anyway. I don't know. Put, put him in lacrosse. Who cares? <laughs> Oh, he always looked like a dick when he showed up in those other sports, though, because he's just like, I'm the football player. It's like, yeah, we see you. We know you are. (laughs) I mean, it kind of reminded me of like all the high school football players that I had to deal with who just assumed that they were better than everybody else at everything they did. Oh, you mean the guys who would like wear their their pads like the the whole day? I was like, how is that comfortable? Why are you doing this right now? It's for school spirit. Sorry, did you did you just I do a spit take? I'm sorry. Spit out no, spit out my lacroix a little bit. No, I didn't really. Almost, it was close. I God. would love if somebody would make a, a cosplay of NFL Super Pro and just start showing up at football games like a Where's Waldo. Oh, that'd be so good. Oh! That'd be amazing. <laughs> It'd be really interesting at a Patriots game. Yeah. You'd have to do it at a Patriots game. That'd be that'd be so good. <laughs> but it I'd has to it. be Perfect. made out of plastic alloys. <laughs> it's gonna weigh a million pounds equivalent of 25 million (laughs) dollars okay so so on the other end of the spectrum one of the best cosplays i ever saw was a judge dread costume that someone had actually made with football pads it was amazing that's awesome that is nice i like that (sighs) yeah and so i want to note that like Kind of like surprising nobody that listened to the beginning of this podcast, Nasiza has actually been pretty good natured about the whole thing. Like apparently people will bring him issues of the comic design and they're like hoping to get a rise out of it. And he's he's not like ashamed of it. Like he's just kind of like, yeah, this is a thing I did. I got paid money to do it. And, you know, whatever. Like he got paid to make a comic book like this wasn't like his brainchild it was hey we're really struggling and we need to make this thing can you help us make this thing and he's like sure i like football can you hook me up with some tickets oh and yeah going to the super bowl would be nice like he got a good thing out of this deal the nfl did not but he got a good thing out of this deal i don't know if he got to go to the super bowl i think it was marvel executives but he still got nfl tickets and he got a royalty check so i think it's okay there you go uh, yeah, I would be remiss if we did not mention a few of these horrendous catchphrases that he uses in the oh, comic. Can, can we please? Okay, so like the first issue, gentlemen, I'd recommend you worry about something else blowing up in your face. What the? Like my fist. <laughs> <laughs> That's a so re- that is in this comic book. The next one. <laughs> Close, Einstein, but you missed the first down marker by the length of a chain. Whew. That's in a published <laughs> comic book. Um, let's, let's see, where's the next one? Oh, he lands on a car and says, touchdown! Nope. 
there's more. There is more gold in here. He went from sacking quarterbacks to tackling crime. Oh, uh, let's so see. I, I, I think <laughs> I, I think that. Oh, oh, can we please? Uh, this isn't one of like the horrible phrases he says, but in the Captain America crossover issue with crossbones, crossbone has these blades that generally are poisoned. Yeah. And he is able to slash NFL Super Pro. So there is a panel with Captain America That's right. sucking the poison <laughs> out of NFL Super Pro's leg. And the part that got me the most was, take it easy, son. Crossbone usually likes to poison his blades. And then he s- turns to the side, spits it out and says, just as I thought, Cobra Venom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> like what? Captain America knows that it's specifically Cobra Venom. No, what I would love is for it just to be like that's how he actually like you know picks up dudes on the side. No, really. Like, it's just like oh no, like this random person stabbed you. It's probably poisoned. We need to suck it out. It's, it's fine. Give me your leg. Hold on. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I got. I screenshotted those because I needed the world to know that those exist. Oh, they're so good. I love them. Yeah. (laughs) I will say I did actually like instant replay when he came back because he actually talked this time around. And the whole thing was that he'd been like sucked into like a time portal or something like that. And so he was like popping out and his words were always out of order. And he was like really deranged looking. That issue was better than that series deserved, honestly. Yeah. I dug that one. That was cool. Yeah. I didn't mind that one. Okay. So, Lance, what you were talking about earlier, you guys like to do a segment on your show called What If. Could you give a quick summary of that for our listeners? Yeah. So we just like to take uh, a general concept that we find in a comic or an idea about a character and put our own twist on it. Just because the thing we like to do most as comic book nerds is to talk about the weird things that could or could not happen in comic books. In our recent episode that we released, Red Hood, we decided it to be what vehicle should Jason Todd have tried to steal the wheel from instead of Batman? And based off of what whose vehicle it was, it changed up how he was raised, which was just so much fun. And it's probably one of the what ifs I'm most proud of. Not because it was amazing. And it's not even I'm it not even. Fun, yeah. Thank you. I'm not even proud of mine. It's our my guest host, Josh from Four Nerds by Nerds and High on Horror. His is amazing. And he did some voiceover work for it. And then one of my buddies, Weston, who he makes royalty-free D&D music that you can use in your campaigns. And so I grabbed some of his free music from his Patreon and threw it in the background. And it worked seamlessly. It, it was fantastic. Like It was so good. I, I loved I love it so much. I've listened to that part multiple times. And I've told Josh multiple times how much I love it. But that's kind of the idea behind it is just telling like a version of a story or an idea that we love about the characters that we find so interesting. Yeah. So I thought it would be kind of fun to posit a what if question about Super Pro, which is at this point in time, like the NFL is pretty unabashedly like evil. Like they, they, like they could not be more blatant about it unless they were like, you know, twirling a mustache and tying Lily and Gish to train tracks. But like, the news just dropped, I think yesterday or the day before, that they were trying to get field dancers for the halftime show to show up and volunteer their time for 80 hours of work in return for rehearsal time. And they're also responsible for handling their transportation. They historically don't pay their dancers or treat their dancers well. Like, no. historically. I mean, <laughs> I <sighs> tune in in a couple of episodes when we talk about the Debbie Does Dallas comics that I picked up. Oh, Most right. of the time. All right, so what sport would he have moved on to after it was revealed that the NFL is gross and evil? So he did have some interaction with soccer in the Ripsaw issue, but that went horrendously. I do not think he would go in the soccer direction. That was also kind of involving some heavy gambling, so that probably would leave like a sour taste if he was not digging the vibe of the NFL at that point. I think he might like rugby, though. It's a similarly aggressive and hands-on sport, and I feel like he would need to have similar skills as far as, like, strength and, like, throwing and running. And I think he would love being able to throw a dude in the air as part of the game. I think he'd love it. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a that's a good transition for sure. What about you? I love weird sports. So I think NFL Super Pro should revitalize the Spike TV classic of Slam Ball, which was a combination <laughs> of basketball, <laughs> football, and add trampolines. Because I remember that. <laughs> a character this ridiculous needs to be in a sport just as ridiculous. They already wear football pads. They have helmets. And then they get to destroy each other midair. Like, this would be an incredible comic book. He could jump on a trampoline and then jump on another person and go even higher and then slam the basketball. It is insane. And I would buy every single issue. Yeah. That, wow. I <laughs> I don't even want to say my idea now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I went first. So I don't like, I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was actually like, what if he, what if he moved? down to like south america just to like get away from it all and then really got into highlight you know that's that... so good i would <laughs> I mean, love to of... watch you play highlight <laughs> that or cricket one or the other because there's a lot of pads in both of those games and i think highlight has a helmet too yeah so do you two have any final thoughts on nfl super pro before we move on to our brain wrinkle section it is an experience unlike anything else in comic books and if you want to read it you can or you can just listen to this <laughs> podcast and get all of the good things without the bad well said listen i would say i'm not one to judge but let's be real i am um this <laughs> this whole damn comic was absolutely ridiculous like the idea that they just might randomly need someone with the very specific skills of a football player the skills themselves are reasonable like the super strength and speed but then also, him needing to be dressed as a football player screams someone who was taken out of the game prematurely in his career, which is very sad, but he's like trying to relive his glory days, which makes it even more sad and hilarious that through the first few episodes, nobody, nobody has ever heard of him. Like, he was always like, how do you not know who I am? I'm super pro. And everyone's like, who? Yeah, that was really good, actually. And he was so indignant about it. And I was like, buddy, you just want some validation and to relive some memories. But it just it feels a bit extra to insert yourself into active situations dressed in your old college uniform you added an NFL logo to. That's how it felt. <laughs> it would have been way better if the NFL just went after him in the final issue for copyright infringement. <laughs> That's more realistic. Even... Yeah. Yes. All right. So. So let's move on to Brain Wrinkles, which is the one thing that is comics or comics adjacent that has just been kicking around our head for the last couple of days. Jessica or Lance, who wants to go first? I'll go first. I've been thinking about secret identities, and I think it's really interesting that most of the superheroes that we read about keep their identity a secret and assume a super or stealth name. But what I find most interesting in thinking about this is that we as a society almost don't want to know that there's an actual person saving us, like a real person behind the mask. We just want to be saved and like know that Spider-Man will save me if he's around because that's what he does. But if a person's identity being revealed means that they and their loved ones are inherently in danger, what does that tell us about our society? Like, we can't keep heroes safe when they do the same for us anonymously. Kind of something to think about. Like, couldn't we band together to protect them? But that's not usually the case, right? And yes, I get the concept of, like, the bad guys know where you and your kin are. But I wish we had a little more faith in society that, like, if Peter Parker's aunt was in danger, the community wasn't having it and would protect her because he saved and protected the community. And like, I haven't seen the newest Spider-Man movie, so maybe I'm touching on something. I don't know. I don't know what direction they take there, but it was kind of just a, a purely relatable example. But yeah, that's the meandering kind of thought vortex I've been spiraling down for a hot second. <laughs> so. mm, well, I don't know. I feel, <laughs> I feel like COVID has, over the last couple of years, with the number of protests we've seen outside of like city council members' houses, like I feel like maybe that's proven that we're all terrible. Like, you know. There's the takeaway. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree. That's why I didn't say anything. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Okay, so Lance, how about you? Yeah, so recently, just because the whole point of our podcast when we created 
comic book keepers was we had all this time on our hands because of the pandemic. I had just graduated from graduate school and I had passed my board exam and the pandemic hit and I had a lot of free time and no way of making money. And comics as a whole became an escapism. I've always liked comics, but it was nice to fill the day with various stories that were either uplifting or seeing characters go through trials and overcoming it. And it wasn't just kind of escaping in comics. It was also about sharing all this time with a good friend of mine, Chris, and kind of developing our show in general. And so it helped us have an even better friendship. But at the same time, we were on social media and interacting with other people and shows and hearing their stories about what comics meant to them and especially to help get through difficult times because not only was everything shut down, family members were getting sick, passing away, and it was just not the greatest time in everyone's life. And we're still kind of in it and going through it too. And I've just found that just in my head, comics just serve a great purpose and the creators might not even realize what they're doing for the community at at this time because there are so many incredible stories that are coming out right now that let us just escape for a few minutes at a time and be in a place that just lets us have fun or like have feelings or feel the same feelings that characters are going through. So that's just kind of the thought I have is just grateful for comics and for what they do for us nerds in this community. Yeah, that's a really nice thought. All right. So I guess it's my turn. So I have been doing research for a couple of upcoming episodes and one of the recurring themes that i keep coming across is how some of the most interesting comics came from indie publishers that had these very brief but kind of bright lives before they either flamed out or got acquired and sometimes it's cases like continuity comics who basically did themselves in because they couldn't deliver anything on time or with any real editorial quality But sometimes it's instances like Air Cell Comics, which was this small publisher that put out a lot of interesting and cool stuff in the 80s before Malibu acquired them. And it's also just made me think about how we should make a point of picking up books from smaller publishers if we want to keep getting weird and interesting stuff published. Like, just something to think about the next time that you're picking up your DC and Marvel books. Maybe ask the clerk if there's something good out there from an indie label, you know, just help keep things a little weird around here, you know? Pick up Barbaric from Vault. Buy Barbaric. I don't know Barbaric. Which one is that? Oh my gosh. Do either of you know Barbaric? No. no. Oh my gosh, please go and find There's three issues that have come out so far. Okay. I believe the author is Michael Marecci and Nathan Gooden is the artist. So it's about a barbarian who is cursed with a talking axe to basically only be able to like kill the people that are deemed evil enough to kill and it's like a fantasy world. And it drew me in immediately and it is unbelievably fun. And the ax and the main character, Owen, I believe is his name, have the greatest back and forth. It it is amazingly hilarious. And I would strongly recommend barbaric from vault. This sounds amazing. I'll add it to my pull list. Like the art is like perfection. All right. That also makes me think of the horror movie, well, sort of horror movie, Frailty, that Bill Paxton directed back in the early aughts. Have you ever seen that? Mm -mm. I think I saw that. Bill Paxton, Matthew McConaughey, and I think Jim Caviezel. Oh, wow. How have I not heard of this movie? It's a really fascinating movie where this guy shows up and starts talking about how he reveals the identity of a serial killer who I think was called the God's Hand Killer. And basically, he's like, yeah, it was my dad. And my dad was suddenly convinced that he could see demons, and so he starts killing them with his axe, and then he makes my younger brother and I both go along and participate in this, and like, it's genuinely frightening, and then they have a twist at the end that's really good. Like, highly recommended. It's, uh, I don't know if it's streaming right now, but it's a real cheap DVD pickup. What's it called again? Frailty. I have never heard of this, and I need to watch it immediately. Yeah. That sounds incredible. It's, it's great. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, so about that barbaric comic, Vault put up, it's a, an homage cover to the original like Conan the Barbarian poster, like the really iconic one. And You're speaking they, my language. They only made a hundred copies of it and I oh, bought fuckers. one of them and nice. it's already like tripled in value. 
It's really, it's a really good book. It's on a lot of like top read lists, especially for indie labels. It is so much fun. Three issues and then more is coming out this year. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll talk to Brian and see what he's got. That's rad. Yes, it's awesome. And please let me know what you think after you read it, because I am obsessed with it. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Well, that is all for us this episode. Lance, again, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciated having you and it was a great conversation. So this was just a wonderful evening. Yeah. I'm so thankful for you guys inviting me on. This was super fun. Thank you. Yeah. Well, in two weeks, we'll be back with a mystery topic that's going to be led by Jessica. And until then, we'll see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier, Mike Thompson, and Lance Watkins, written by Mike Thompson, and edited by Jessica Frazier. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who goes by Look Mom Draws on Instagram. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is TencentTakes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K, and Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can find Comic Book Keepers anywhere you find your comic book podcasts. We are literally everywhere that you could possibly download a comic book podcast from. So just look up Comic Book Keepers on all social media platforms. We are at CBKCast. So come and talk to us. We'd love to talk about all comic things in general. If you'd like to support us, be sure to rate, download, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.